Welcome to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 48, Healing from Trauma. It's July 30th, 2022. I'm your host, Lisa A. Lundy, author, blogger, YouTuber, motivational speaker, and clearly podcaster. I am also a member of the Newsweek Expert Forum. What I do is I help people be well-loved, happy, and healthy, even when life is extremely difficult. As my disclaimer, this podcast does not constitute medical or therapy advice in any way, and my music is by Howie Moskovich. Healing from Trauma Well, while this is not a great topic, like it's not fun and games, I have, I'm excited about this podcast because I have really good news for you if you're dealing with or healing from a trauma or you want to heal from a trauma. Now, traumas or traumatic, traumatic experiences or things that can be laden with trauma are very, very common, as you'll see later in the podcast when I talk about things that can cause traumas. So I am a trauma expert, and that means I have had almost every trauma you could have and flourished despite the trauma. And in fact, I did not even know anything about trauma or traumas, let alone that I had survived uh, umpteen many of them until 2018. Like, I was being kicked out of psychotherapy because I was, like, so healthy and a trauma expert, and I didn't even know I'd had a trauma, let alone multiple traumas, let alone multiple concurrent traumas. So trauma and trauma experiences are not our everyday conversation. They're just not. And it would be very powerful if they were. And I have some really, really great news when it comes to healing from traumas. So for some of you listening to this podcast today, you might have an aha moment like, oh, I think I've had a trauma. Oh, I wonder if that was a trauma. Was that a traumatic experience for me or traumatizing in any way? So you might have some aha moments. And the good news is, you know, the more you get to know yourself and the more you understand yourself, you get freed up so you don't have to be stuck or stalled or stay wounded from something that happens. So you can grow, you can heal, and you can have a better life. So let's get going. So what I'm going to cover today in this podcast is basically what is a trauma, types of situations that can cause trauma or be traumatic, I'm going to lightly touch on the ACE score, which is the Adverse Childhood Experience Research. I'm going to give you some examples of frequent responses to trauma. I'm going to be dispelling the notion that you train people how to treat you. I'm going to introduce you to psychoneuroimmunology and why that's important to you if you're dealing with a trauma or healing from a trauma. I'm going to mention post-traumatic growth, which is so exciting and good news for you. And I'm going to talk about the neuroplasticity of the brain and why that's exciting and important to you. I'm going to have a brief mini sidebar on whether you're having trouble functioning in life 
Then I'm going to give you the steps or suggestions to start healing from trauma. Some takeaways and a call to action. So if you happen to be new to my content, I'm hopeful that you'll go to my website at www.lisaalundy.com and enter my giveaway, which is, look, look, I want a book. I know it makes me laugh. People love giveaways and I apparently love giving away stuff. So it's slated to go on through December 2022, but it's extremely likely I'll either have a new giveaway or continue it. Now, the next piece is very important and it is my disclaimer. <clears throat> I am not a medical health professional or therapist in any capacity. If you need medical or therapy advice, you should get your medical or therapy advice from a licensed healthcare provider, of which I'm not. So there's that. <clears throat> now, if you're listening to this podcast and you've been hopeless or feeling extremely depressed or thinking about harming yourself or you're suicidal, I'm asking you to stop what you're doing and call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. I'm asking you to tell someone. I'm asking you to talk about it. I'm asking you to post it on social media. Do whatever you need to do because there is help available and people do care about you. Maybe not the people you want to care about you, but people will care about you. So please take that action. Now, what is a trauma? Well, apparently I didn't know what a trauma was until 2018. So I think it's, a, it's important to lay that out. So trauma in the dictionary is defined as a deeply distressing or disturbing experience. So that is a deeply distressing or disturb, disturbing experience. And in psychology, they define a trauma is as an emotional response to a terrible event. Now, even though in this podcast, I'm not going to talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, abbreviated PTSD, I do want to make a mention of it, though, because, you know, many people suffer from that. And what post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD is, it's a psychiatric disorder disorder that happens or may happen in people who have either witnessed or experienced a, tra a traumatic event or situation in life. So PTSD can happen regardless of your race or your gender or your age or your culture. And it's, it's actually more common than you would think. According to the American Psychiatric Association website, they're uh, purporting that one in 11 people will be diagnosed with PTSD in their lifetime. So not all cases of PTSD require uh, treatment, but you know, it's important for you to understand if you have that, you need to get some help and, and, or therapy or whatever is, is warranted and have no shame or embarrassment. So we have the general idea or notion of a trauma. So what kinds of situations in life can cause a trauma or be traumatic? Well, I have, I have quite a list, so I'm going to run through that. And as you're listening to this podcast, I just want you to listen from Hmm. Did I have that experience? Am I having that experience? Is that in my history? And just, just listen from that. Dysfunctional families, that's dysfunctional families in general, having an A score, which I'll cover later, alcoholism, either your own or others, 
domestic abuse or domestic violence, addictions, poverty, homelessness, bullying, being bullied, maltreatment or neglect, absence of love, affection, or nurturing, hoarding, illness or disability, mental health problems, either your own or others, a divorce or a bad breakup, absent parent or absent parents, either physically absent or emotionally absent, workplace violence, workplace harassment, or workplace discrimination, discrimination outside of work or harassment outside of work, death of a loved one, death of a child, a pandemic, loss of a job, an unhealthy relationship, not having a dream come true. That could look like never getting married if you wanted to, or never having children if you wanted to. Economic abuse, sexual abuse or assault, natural disorders, accidents, which could be being in an accident or witnessing an accident, acts of terrorism. So that's a long list of things that could potentially cause a trauma. That means they could have a trauma or be a trauma to you, or they could simply be traumatic events. And not everyone responds to the same situation in the same way. So what could be a trauma for you might not be a trauma for someone else because we're all different. We've had different experiences, we're wired differently, we're different people. But I think it's important to note that those are all things that could either cause or be a trauma or be traumatic in some way. That's a lot, right? I mean, so <clears throat> next I want to talk about ACE scores. And ACE is, stands for, A-C-E stands for the Adverse Childhood Experience. And this was developed in the 1990s, I believe, at Kaiser Permanente. Um, and they, they only have 10 questions in the test, which is extremely limited. However, from a little quick PubMed dive, it looks like they are looking to expand the ACE test beyond the initial test as it stands. And the test as it stands what uh, really look, was looking at childhood abuse and household dysfunction. So what they know is that an A score can provide valuable information about predicting issues and serious problems later in life. So this is scoring based on childhood experiences. So the ACE testing basically looks at the following things physical, sexual, or verbal abuse, physical or emotional neglect, separation or divorce, a family member with mental illness, a family member addicted to drugs or alcohol, a family member who is in prison, and witnessing a parent being abused. So I want to draw your attention out of that list to two things. Number one, verbal abuse, and number two, emotional neglect. Because if you had a parent, when you were growing up, if you had a parent who was dealing with abuse from their spouse, from your other parent or your step-parent, or you had a parent who was dealing with a mental illness or an addiction, 
it's very unlikely that that parent was going to be able to provide good emotional support to you because they were dealing with their own issues. It's just extremely unlikely, very, very unlikely that a parent who's dealing with an addiction, a mental illness, or some type of abuse from, you know, their spouse is going to be able to be there emotionally for you or for, you know, for their child. It's possible. It's just extremely unlikely, which means that the children growing up in a household that has that aren't getting proper role models. They're not getting love and attention and affection. So before we move off of this topic, I wanted to give you some information from the CDC website to underscore the significance of that, of this topic, even though it's relatively new. Being 1990s, that means it's relatively new. So according to the CDC website, ACE scores are linked to chronic health problems, mental illness, and substance abuse problems in adolescence and in adulthood. And having an ACE score, one or more, can also negatively impact education, job opportunities, and your earning potential. And they're very common. So according to the CDC website, about 61% of adults surveyed across 25 states reported they had experienced at least one type of ACE before 18, before age 18. And nearly one in six reported they had experienced four or more type of ACEs. So we're talking about, you know, problems of epidemic proportion and having a scores in society is very expensive. And the CDC estimates that the economic and social cost to families, communities and society totals hundreds of billions of dollars each year. And by lowering the ACE scores by 10%, in North America, that would equate to an annual savings of $56 billion. So this is something that, you know, is pervasive, extremely common, and, and problematic. And we're not talking about it in everyday life. So you, offline, outside of this podcast, can look up the A scoring, the child Adverse Childhood Experience, test and take the test. Although I do want to make a mention that it looks like they're expanding it beyond the original intention, which was childhood abuse and, and household dysfunction, which I think it really should be. So let's hope that can, I'm sure that research is going to continue because it's been very compelling, even though it's fairly new. So the next thing I want to pop on to is what are typical or frequent or common responses to a trauma or to a traumatic event. So this is a list uh, that's some of the more common ones that's not all inclusive. I have I have uh, 22 here, but they're common responses. And I just am pointing this out because, of course, I want you to have a real healthy response. I want you to start healing from this. So one, the first re response that's typical is what's called the fight or flight response. That's an automatic response. Uh, depression, anxiety, rumination or overthinking or catastrophizing, being stuck 
or getting stuck or being stalled in life is a response. Making unconscious or subconscious decisions about people or life based on the trauma unbeknownst to you. Now, I do have a podcast about the subconscious and unconscious mind, which addresses the, the, the whole process of that. Over-medicating, medicating or substance abuse, addictions, denial, becoming reclusive or isolating yourself, overcompensating in some way, having anger issues, either explosive anger or just being angry all the time, taking your anger out on others, being promiscuous, blaming being the victim or playing the martyr role, blaming others, becoming jaded or suspicious, becoming paranoid or having a mental health issue, self-loathing, panic, suicidal thoughts or thoughts of self-harm or engaging in cutting yourself or other dangerous behaviors and self-sabotage. So there's those are just like the most common reactions to either a trauma or a traumatic event or an event that's traumatizing to you. And that's helpful to know because, of course, we want you to be moving in a different direction, which I'm going to cover. So before I get into this exciting science, I want to dispel the notion that you train people how to treat you. So there's a common statement floating around in the world that goes like this. You train people how to treat you. And that begs to be addressed in my most humble opinion. Like it screams to be addressed. Because what we know from the research is that 70 to 96% of American families are dysfunctional at some level. Some more than others. We also know from recent research that more than half of adults surveyed in 20 states report having at least one A score. So if a child grows up in a dysfunctional family, they're learning dysfunctional ways of living. How can you say later in life that they are training people how to treat them? They are repeating the only pattern that they know. I'm going to say that again. They are repeating in adulthood the only pattern that they know. They are going for what feels comfortable without a conscious awareness of it. You know, this is happening at a subconscious or unconscious level. Now, if you happen to know you are, you know, and have an enmeshment issue or you're codependent and you continue to engage in that behavior knowing that you have a codependency or, you know, certain problems, then you're actually, you know, intentionally engaging in that behavior and what I'm saying is that for the lion's share of people, people are not asking to be treated badly. They are Many people end up tra- being treated extremely badly or very badly, but it's not because they deserve it, and it's not because they've asked for it, and it is not because they're training people how to treat them. It's the children who grew up in a family or household where their emotional needs are not met, where they don't feel truly loved or valued, they're not learning the skills, they're not having high self-esteem, they're not learning assertiveness or boundaries or emotional skills, they're not learning how to ask for love and proper treatment because they've never experienced it. 
So I'm not talking about dismissing your part or role or uh, you know, involvement in any type of trauma or traumatic experience. But what I'm saying is that I really find it disturbing that we're running around saying, well, you train people how to treat you. Well, I guess you deserve that. No. You know, if you're codependent or you have some other enmeshment or other issue that you're aware of, that you have knowledge of, and you continue to engage in that behavior, that's a separate issue. But for the lion's share of people, most people, by far and away, I don't know what the percentage would be, they don't even recognize they've had a trauma or they don't recognize that they really were emotionally neglected as a child or abused or, you know, that there was something really that off in their family because we're not talking about this stuff. So how would, how would you grow up as an adult and know that this is what's operating in the background? So I personally believe it's just very disingenuous to say that you train people how to treat you. And I just have to kind of put that out there to dispel the notion because obviously you can tell I really take issue with that. Um, so that's enough on that. All right, now the next thing is I'm wildly excited about this. And this is psychoneuroimmunology. So I'm going to say that again psychoneuroimmunology, which they abbreviate PNI. And, uh, and this is very important in not only dealing with trauma, but having a great, happy life. So what is this? Well, I did, I did mention this in my podcast on being confronted in life. And so, but it's so important, you have to understand it. So what psychoneuroimmunology is, which by the way is abbreviated as PNI, this is a 40-year-old field of science which falls under the, the broader heading or the broader field of neuroscience. And what this science studies is it studies the interactions between behavior, the brain, and the immune system. So psychoneuroimmunology studies the interactions between behavior, what you do, or what's happening, your brain, which includes your thoughts, what you're thinking and you're feeling, and the immune system. So in terms of the research, credit is given for this term to most often to Robert Adler from his 1970s research, and sometimes Cohen gets the credit too. But what's important to know, because I'm a fan of science and using science to your advantage, and I'm not a fan of fringe science or, you know, hokey pokey stuff, is that a Harvard psychologist by the name of Walter Cannon, going back to the 1920s, showed a direct relationship between stress and the endocrine, neuroendocrine responses in animals. And Walter Cohen is the one who's credited for coining the term fight or flight response, which was back in 1927 or 1929. In the research in Puff, and it's also mentioned that Hippocrates, who's considered to be the father of medicine, wrote about this idea, this very concept over 2,000 years ago. So what this means to you is, what you think in your mind and how you feel impacts your immune system and therefore your health. This is why healing from a trauma or betrayal or 
something sad or something traumatic or whatever is so critical because this research in psychoneuroimmunology underscores the importance of why it's important for you to get on the road to happiness, to loving life, and being in charge of your life because it affects your health. Now we know from the happiness research, and I've mentioned some of the happiness research in my podcasts that are more about happiness as opposed to other topics. Happiness has extremely high and many, many health benefits. Obviously happiness feels good, like everyone loves to be happy, but this is why you need to get to work on actually being happy. So um, I'm very excited because, of course, this whole idea of neuro, uh, psychoneuroimmunology totally and completely validates everything I've been saying my entire life. So woohoo for that. Everybody, everybody likes to be validated, but it's really powerful to be scientifically validated for your points of view. The next scientific concept I want to include, because it's helpful, because we're talking about trauma, traumatic events, and healing, is the term post-traumatic growth. Now, I have talked about that in in many other podcasts, but since you're listening to this one, just a brief kind of review, uh, post-traumatic growth is attributed to Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun from the 1990s and it has continued to expand and grow in terms of a body of research and what they're saying and what the concept of post-traumatic growth is that out of some advanced uh, uh, adverse experience or trauma or a life challenge you become a better version of yourself and you have more appreciation for life or life becomes more fulfilling or rewarding. So they define post-traumatic growth as having five elements. One, an appreciation for life. Two, relationship with others. Three, new possibilities in life. Four, personal uh, strength. And five, spiritual change. So long before I knew that there was this research on post-traumatic growth, I was calling this idea using emotional pain to your advantage, which is actually the title of a podcast uh, that I did uh, before I knew about the term. So in this idea, this model of post-traumatic growth, and this is what we're talking about. We're talking about you healing from either a trauma or a traumatic experience or some very serious life challenge. This is really important for you to put your arms around, to put your hands on this, because this is one of the things you're going to want to use to propel your life forward. So under their uh, model, changes in self-concept, meaning you become more vulnerable, yet stronger, and more self-confident. Changes in relationship to other people. While, yes, a trauma or traumatic event can negatively impact relationships, it can also bring a sense of increased closeness with others, greater compassion for other people in general, and being more sympathetic to pain in others and for those who are in pain. Under their model, new possibilities. So out of this this process, 
new possibilities can open up out of a situation, including new relationships. Appreciation for life, they ascribe that to be living life more vividly. And they have another, the fifth piece, existential elements, where they're talking about spiritual and religious elements and the way that they view their existence as mortal human beings and being more connected to something transcendent. So that's really powerful stuff. Like we, what we know from the research, you can make a decision about that. Now, I do talk about in some of my other podcasts, some pieces from the research about rumination, constructive rumination, unconstructive rumination, intrusive rumination, reflective or deliberate ruminations. And I'm not going to cover all of that in this podcast because this podcast is already going to be long enough. But it's important that you understand the idea of rumination, which is, you know, deep or considered thought about something and the fact that ruminations can be positive or negative. They can be helpful to you or they can, you know, kind of not be helpful to you and be damaging to you. So the whole idea of post-traumatic growth is, you know, it develops out of an attempt to come to some new understanding of the world and uh, about themselves and, and how others behave and how their future can be. And what they're saying is it's not the loss that's good. It's what good can come from the loss. So because of the research on post-traumatic growth, you can use any trauma, any traumatic event, any bad experience or life change or challenge or death or anything to become a better version of yourself and to have life be more fulfilling and rewarding. You actually can you absolutely can and it's a choice so that's the exciting news about post-traumatic growth and as if you know i hope you're loving the science (laughs) i hope you're loving the science people because i really love the science and this next piece if you haven't heard it from any of my other podcasts is very exciting for trauma whether you're healing or kind of in the midst of trauma which is the neuroplasticity of the brain. So neuroplasticity of the brain is one of the most exciting discoveries in science and medicine because it's a game changer. In particular with dealing with trauma or some serious event, what neuroplasticity of the brain is or how it's defined is, it's defined as the ability of the nervous system to change its activity in response to either intrinsic or extrinsic stimuli by reorganizing its structure, functions, or connections. So the brain, in response to some stimulus, internal or external, reorganizes itself reorganize, or reorganizes its functions or its connections. That is like super amazing. And lest you think, because you haven't heard it somewhere else, that this is fringe, uh, William James, who was a pioneer in psychology, wrote about the theoretical notions of neuroplasticity in 1890. 1890. And in 1948, the... um, 
Pol a Polish scientist, a, Pol a Polish actually neuroscientist, um, Jerry Koronsky, was actually attributed to coining the term neuroplasticity. So that's 1948. So this is not new science. It may not have reached mainstream where we're all talking about how we're rewiring our brain. This is old science, 1890, 1948. Uh, so it's very exciting because what this means is in, in a practical real world sense, you don't have to unpack your whole trauma, your whole life, everything that's in your subconscious or unconscious mind. You don't have to do psychotherapy to heal. You don't have to, you know, like you can intentionally, by taking advantage of neuroplasticity of the brain, you can intentionally take actions to rewire your neuronal pathways. So I, I think that that's just the most exciting thing. I mean, and so it's a real thing and it's very exciting because you don't have to unpack everything. I mean, you can go to therapy and unpack everything and that may be very appropriate for you, but I'm just suggesting that you don't have to because of what neuroplasticity of the brain means. Now, because this podcast is on trauma, I'm going to take a little side sidebar about are you having trouble functioning in life? Because we don't talk in society in general about how functional someone is or whether someone's having difficulty functioning. And you're listening to this podcast, so this hopefully will be helpful to you because it's it's important. So when I talk about how functional or are you having trouble functioning in life, what I'm talking about is are you sleeping well? Are you eating well? Are you able to do the things that your life requires you to do? Show up for work, take care of your children, you know, do this or do that. I mean, there are certain things that life requires of us given how our life is organized. And are you able to function and do those things? Sometimes when something bad happens, people have trouble sleeping or they have trouble eating or they have trouble fulfilling on the roles that they're designated to fulfill on. And, and if that's the case, then you want to have an aha moment and say, hmm, I'm having a little trouble functioning in life. I think I need to ask for some help and have no shame or embarrassment in asking for help. Now, in other situations, you might be very functional in life or you might be doing well or okay, but you might need help with a special project or a special task or say, for example, moving or cleaning out your basement or something and then you want to ask for the help that you need it doesn't mean you're not functional and it doesn't mean you're not functioning well it just means that you know whatever that other task is is too much for you at the time so you need some assistance now there is a global assessment of functioning scale which i'm not going to get into but i think it's important as you're growing and developing by listening to this podcast that you start to put you know being fully functional in life and, and any recognition if you're not fully functioning in life and get on the road for that. So the next piece of this podcast is some suggestions or steps to start healing. I'm a huge fan of healing. Anger can be healing. Forgiveness can be healing. There are so many things that can be healing. Love is very healing. There's so many things that can be healing. And if you've had a trauma or multiple traumas or a traumatic experience or just some really awful life experiences, whether or not you want to label them as a trauma, 
and want you to get on the road for healing. So number one is you're going to make a decision, a conscious decision, to use post-traumatic growth in your life. So at a conscious level, you're going to be saying to yourself, yes, I am going to use this trauma or this life challenge or X, Y, or Z to become a better version of myself and to have my life be more rewarding, more fulfilling, and infinitely richer. Because that's a choice. Not everyone who has a trauma or a bad experience or a horrible traumatic experience goes down the road of post-traumatic growth. Everyone could. I mean, it's an option because it's really a decision. And once you make that decision, then you're going to take actions that line up with that decision. So my first suggestion is make the decision that you are going to take advantage of post-traumatic growth and lap up every benefit and have yourself become a happier, better version of yourself and have life be much better and more rewarding. Why not? Like, come on. Number two, you're going to get on the road of growth and development. Well, you are listening to this podcast right now, which means you're already on the road of growth and development. Whether you knew it or not, this is the road, this is the access growth and development right here. You're doing it right now. You're doing it. And for me, and I have a podcast on this growth and development is the access to love. It's the access to happiness. It is the access to being highly functional in life and enjoying life, even when it's extremely difficult and extremely painful. And yes, you can have happiness and love and great stuff, even when, you know, you have six or seven very painful things going on. You can, you actually can. And all of my podcasts are free. My blog posts, my YouTube videos. So growth and development can I, can I help you heal. Don't you want to heal? Yes, you want to heal. All right. Number three, learning how to manage and process your emotions. Well, this is a little tricky and a little complex. I just did a podcast the other week on how to manage and process your emotions. And this is not something we talk about in society at all. Like, we just don't. We don't even train psychotherapists and medical professionals and medical doctors in this area. And it's under, managing and processing your emotions falls under the umbrella of emotional intelligence. And if you're not aware that your emotions are a superpower, or they could be a superpower if you knew how to use them, I'm here to break the news to you people. Emotions are your superpower if you know how to use them. And emotional intelligence is amazing. Several of my podcasts will help you with that, you know, because you have to learn. Like Spider-Man shoots out webbing and Batman has to figure out how to fly. You know, you have to learn how to use your emotions. And my podcast on that will help you. But it's a process. It's not like an overnight, oh, no, now I know how to do it. You have to learn how to do it. The next thing I'm suggesting in this process for healing is to start using affirmations so you can take advantage of neuroplasticity and start rewiring your brain immediately. And the research on affirmations is fascinating. I mean, Florence Scovelshin, who you can look up on the internet, wrote a book in the 19, I'm going to say 1925, thereabouts, uh, The Game of Life and How to Play It. And it's really about affirmations. So affirmations are a simple statement 
that move your life forward or and address an issue and in doing so create a new neuronal pathway to rewire your brain without getting into the subconscious and unconscious mind which I have another podcast on you have stuff in your brain that you don't have access to that is not good it's just not good people it's terrible it's bad bad stuff in your unconscious subconscious mind and rather than unpack it or try to figure out what's in there just rewire it this is like the shortcut in so I am going to give you some examples of affirmations and the affirmations are personal to you you can look up affirmations on the web you can find Florence Scovel Shin and her book still for sale you can find all kinds of stuff about affirmations But I'm talking to you about it because you're either going to find out what's in your subconscious and what's driving your life or you're going to rewire it on the shortcut end. So here's some examples that might be useful when you're healing from a trauma or dealing with a traumatic experience. Here they go. Here they are. I deserve to be loved because I am worthy of love. I am learning, growing, and changing. I am capable. I'm a capable, loving, and great human being. I deserve happiness. I deserve love. I deserve money. I deserve to be treated really, really well. I deserve success. And so on. Like you get the idea. Now with affirmations, the the key to affirmations, I first of all, I always recommend print them out, write them up, print them out, make signs, have some something you can see wherever you live, you know, or in your desk at work or something, you know, like have them all over and you've got to say them with rigor over and over and over and over and over and over again and over a period of time, depending on your rigor and depending on lots of things, they will start to create the new neuronal pathways in your brain. So definitely, you know, you want to do affirmations in my humble opinion. Next, I highly suggest and recommend that you either boost or develop self-care. We in the world are not that great at self-care, and a lot of people don't even know what I mean by self-care, which is fine. That's normal, by the way, because we're not talking about it. Like, it would be different if we're like, oh, I'm on the way to do blah, 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 part of my self-care. We don't talk like that, people. We just don't. So, Self-care is those things and actions that you do or, you know, things that you have set up to take care of yourself. And there's a whole lot that's involved in self-care. You know, sleeping, eating, physical, there's emotional things. There's like, it's like a whole big thing. I have a whole podcast devoted to it. And self-care is really critical for happiness. I'm all about happiness, people. Happiness is one of my things. Dealing with emotions, emotional emotions is a superpower, another one of my things. Love, okay, I got quite a few things, but self-care is one of them. And sometimes I annoy people because I'm like, oh, yep, I got to leave because, you know, I got to get my sleep because I am rigorous about my sleep because it's good for me and I feel better when I have enough sleep. But the thing about self-care is you want to make it enjoyable. You want to take actions that are going to support you in taking care of yourself and, and this, by the way, when I work with people that I coach, this is not optional. It's not optional for me. It's not optional for the people I work with. This is one of those things that creates a foundation for happiness and healthiness and having a great life. The next thing I recommend is to develop self-compassion. Now, the podcast I have on self-care is also on self-compassion. 
Self-compassion is when you're kind to yourself. And we have the majority of people in society, in the world, who are very, very hard on themselves. And that just never feels good. It's just, it just doesn't feel good. And, you know, we have people who are extremely kind to others and then wickedly hard on themselves. So that podcast on self-care and self-compassion will help you with number five and number six. And and the podcast on self-care and self-compassion talks about my journey into learning self-compassion because of course I had I had to learn it and and it's let me tell you it's like one of the best things I ever did so definitely self-care self-compassion so the next thing on my recommendation list here or suggestion list is to ask yourself what can I learn from this if anything well I am a fan of being introspective occasionally pausing occasionally And asking yourself, what can I learn from this, if anything, is part of self-awareness, which is part of emotional intelligence, and that's something you want to grow. And it means asking yourself, like, what can I learn? How can I grow? So, for example, in in doing this for myself after after a tra- after a big trauma, I asked myself that question. And I realized, hmm. I am too trusting. I am too trusting for my own good. And that was a very powerful thing for me to recognize because the recognition of it meant and means still to this day that I can take actions to be to protect myself and to keep myself safe from people who aren't so great. So it's powerful to pause and be introspective and and that's about people it's about events it's about situations it's about things that happen and this is all part of growth and development by the way to be introspective it's part of self-awareness part of emotional intelligence is to pause and ask what can i learn from this the next thing on my list is healing is forgiveness is healing and it's also optional So I'm not a fan of forcing anyone to do anything at any time because I'm just not a fan of forcing things. At the same time, forgiveness is very healing for you. Forgiveness really has nothing to do about the other person. We think, oh, I've got to forgive them. They get the benefit. No, the person you're forgiving gets zero benefits. You might think that they do, but forgiveness is really all about you so if you're healing from a trauma or you're getting on the road to you know healing from a traumatic event or experience forgiveness might be something for you to take a look at and I do have a podcast on that next I recommend spend time doing what makes you happy well let me tell you (laughs) I always recommend this. this is when I start working with someone what's the first one of the first things we do out of the gates is okay let's let's go over the list of what makes you happy and people generally don't know so if you don't know what makes you happy don't be beating yourself up about that don't be going I'm such an idiot I don't even know what makes me happy no that's normal it's normal because we're not living in a society where everyone's like yeah what makes you happy well this is what makes me happy oh really that makes you happy wow that would make me miserable but I'm so happy that it makes you happy we don't even talk like that come on so you know one of the reasons that you want to do things that makes you happy that make you happy is because a you're gonna be happy as a result 
The secondary reason you want to do things that make you happy is because in the process of doing it repeatedly, you're wiring your brain. You're, you're taking advantage of neuroplasticity of the brain to rewire your brain for happiness because happiness can be very addicting people. I mean, and I'm not talking about doing things at someone else's expense. I never recommend that. I'm talking about good things, people. Nice, happy things that don't negatively impact someone else. Like, oh, if you're having an affair and that makes you happy, that is a bad thing because you're hurting someone else. That is not what I'm talking about. So I'm talking about things that have integrity, and I do have a podcast about character and integrity. So I'm not including do things that make you happy that have no integrity that hurt other people. That's just bad and wrong. That is not okay. So while you're healing from a traumatic experience or trauma or something bad, it's helpful to do things that make you happy. And if you're not healing from a trauma or dealing with a bad experience or something awful, it's helpful to do things that make you happy. This wants to be, you know, like you want to have this be part of your life, part of your life where you look at your week and your day and your month and you put things into your life with intention that are going to make you happy because that's going to help you be healthier, which we already know from psychoneuroimmunology. So all of this is going to help you be happier and healthier. And um, take a joy ride with this. Like just make, like, you know, do things that make you happy. Now, the next thing I recommend, which I frequently recommend, is to be up to something. Why? This is kind of a sleeper. It's a sleeper because most people don't do it. And it's a sleeper because it's so unbelievably powerful. Like this is uber powerful. This is Google powerful. So when I say be up to something, I mean anything. I mean something. I mean it could be like just setting a goal of being happy in life and then taking the actions to be happy. It could be getting in shape. It could be saving money. It could be anything. It could be cleaning out your, your garage or helping a friend. I mean, it could be literally anything. Of course, assuming again that it's not bad for somebody else. Like, we have to assume. Just don't do that bad stuff for other people. So, this is the thing. Being up to something is something that can pull you forward in life. So when you're feeling blue and when you're struggling with low level depression or some level of depression or anxiety, you know, being up to something can pull you forward. It's a very powerful tool. It's powerful while you're processing your emotions and giving yourself space. It is just like one of the greatest things. So this could be doing a bucket list. It could be creating a roadmap for your life. It could be, it really literally could be anything. It does not have to be gigantic. Like it could be go finding the love of your life. It could be, you know, going on a date. It could be, you know, like, I don't know what it would be for you. It does not have to be changing the world, but you're going to be up to something and you're going to set goals because you're up to something. Of course, if you're up to something, you're going to set a goal or two or three, and then you're going to take the actions to go after that goal and be up to something because we know setting goals and taking action that line up with those goals make people happier.
And it's a great distraction. Like when you have a lot of painful stuff going on in your life, being up to something, let me tell you, it's like one of the most powerful things you can do. Trust me, I should know. Next, I have as my suggestion, ask for help and get support. Like it's, I can't even tell you how many times in my lifetime I have asked for help. Now, I don't like it, so I'll be honest, I don't like asking for help. And I, and people know that. And at the same time, I don't have to, I don't have to ask for help all the time or with, you know, very small things, but I've had enough trauma and bad things that there have been occasions like when I wanted to go to the medical library to do research about someone who I loved who had a health problem, you know, I had to ask for help so people would come help watch my kids so I could go to the medical library. And the people, the adults that came to watch my kids were thrilled. And I was so grateful to be able to run up to the medical library, grab a few documents, make copies of them, and come back home. So I've asked for help over the years for lots of different things. So you don't want to have shame or embarrassment if you need to ask for help or you need support. Now, if you happen to hold the view or the notion or the judgment that people should never ask for help or there's something wrong with people who need help. And by the way, I do know at least one or more people who have that view, whereas like if you needed food stamps or a Section 8 housing voucher or you needed, you know, therapy or you needed whatever, anything, then there's really something wrong with you and you're a bad person. That is just total BS. That's actually the thinking of a very, very unhealthy person, very, like extremely unhealthy. So I would not suggest you be thinking that, not in any way, because reasonable, healthy people need help now and then. And if you need therapy, go get therapy. I mean, therapy is just looking at your life under a microscope. And if your life can't take that, you're probably not doing something properly. So get your integrity in line. All right, next I suggest learn assertiveness. I am a huge fan of assertiveness. The skills of assertiveness are wildly helpful in life. And, and God bless my mother, God rest her soul, for giving me the Your Perfect Right Assertiveness Handbook when I was in high school and making me read it. Yeah, she did do that. God bless her. Um, because it's very, very helpful. And assertiveness, by the way, is not being aggressive. It's not stomping over other people. It's thoughtful and considerate of and empathetic for other people's needs and desires and wants and your own as well. And it can help you be very helpful in, in establishing uh, good practices for life. And that's really going to help you in all areas of life. The next thing I suggest when you're healing from a trauma or dealing with a traumatic event is that if you, if you don't already have them, create good boundaries. Well, boundaries is another topic that we're not wildly talking about every day in society. We People don't even know what I mean when I bring up the topic of boundaries. And it's important because boundaries are kind of like the limits, the lines you don't cross. And I have a lot of boundaries and a lot of very clear and firm boundaries and I'm clear about them and it's very helpful. I mean, it can be helpful to you in running your life and, and having your life be amazing, 
but it's also helpful to other people because I can say to people, no, I don't associate with people who have affairs. I don't do that. That's hurtful to other people. I'm not going to associate with that because that's one of my boundaries. I'm not going to associate with people who lie, cheat, or steal, period. That's a boundary for me. I'm firm about it, and I'm okay with that. Now, other people who either don't have clear boundaries or they are different, that's not going to be a boundary for them because they don't really care if someone's hurting someone else. They really just doesn't bother them. That's fine. They would have a different boundary then. But establishing clear boundaries for yourself is very healthy and it's very helpful in having a happy and healthy life. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've said to people, oh yeah, well, I don't, I don't do that and I don't do that because it's too painful or I don't do that because of X, Y, or Z. You know, like knowing yourself and having clear boundaries is really a very powerful thing and will help you as you're on the road to healing. All right, the next to the last thing I have on my list is to make this process, to make your healing journey fun and enjoyable. Did you hear me? <laughs> yes, I, I'm a fan of making everything as fun and playful as possible, clearly, because I love having fun. Why? Because life is too hard. Life is so hard. Why would you not want to have fun and be playful and have as much fun as possible? I don't know. Nobody's ever answered that question for me. So can you have a healing journey be fun and really enjoyable and playful? Of course you could. You could make up a name for your journey, you know, the uh, the love quest or the, I don't know, put your Indiana Jones hat on or some other explorer hat, whoever your favorite explorer is, and make up a name, make it a quest or an odyssey or this or that. And of course, I recommend if you really want it to be fun and playful, put people on your team. Some people are going to be on your team whether you ask them or not. And and uh, I had this discussion with some lovely people uh, recently who are dealing with a, one person's dealing with the problem. I said, okay, well, you're going to make a team and you're going to like have it be a quest. And they were kind of laughing at the idea. And I said, no, I'm serious. And and uh, then they, they thought about it. I saw them after the fact. And they were like, yeah, well, we've kind of named ourselves the da-da-da. And, you know, and they were laughing and having fun because growth and development can be wildly fun. And why would you want to go on a healing journey and have it be what, like negative and sad and morose? Yes, if you're on a healing journey, the inherent is that, inherent in a healing journey is that you're dealing with something that was painful or traumatic or problematic or whatever. So, of course, there's pain in it, but you can have lots of pain in your life, trust me, and still be happy, still be healthy, still be functional, still be enjoying life, even while you've got very deeply painful things going on in the, back, in the background, because there are some things in life that you can't control. But you can have fun, you can have play, and I strongly suggest that you put play and fun into your healing journey. Like, come on, get a team, make up a name. You could really make some fun games about it. Uh, you know, like really, you could. Operative word is you could. All right, so here's my takeaways from the 
this podcast, it's time to recognize that traumas and traumatic experiences are extremely common in life, and many of them stem from childhood experiences which we are not, you know, in tune with or awake and aware to. Number two, it's time to begin the healing journey from any traumas you've had or current ones you're in because you can, because you can heal. And lastly, it's time to make this healing journey really remarkably fun and enjoyable because you can. For my call to action, I'm asking you to get on the road of growth and development and and start a fun, playful healing adventure. I'm asking you to share this podcast with friends or family, and I'm asking you to share this podcast on social media so that you can be up to something and help other people grow and develop and be happy and be healthy. I'm Lisa Lundy saying thank you for listening to my Love Life Podcast, episode number 48, Healing from Trauma. I hope you're going to start taking actions to heal and improve your life and feel better because you can. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe so you get the new ones automatically. And I hope you're going to go to my website and enter my giveaway, which is at www.lisaalundy.com. I love you. I appreciate you. Hang in there. Bye for now.